The five stages of grief are a way of describing how people may react to a loss. The media said Joe Biden's president. Ha 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 The media's covering up the Biden crime family steal this election. Give us our freedom, Joe Biden. For angels are being released right now. Angels are being dispatched right now. Hamanda ata ata rata deda baka sanda ata ambo osa. No, no, no. Oh, hello. Welcome to System Fail, the show that dances like nobody's watching. Daily, Daily Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. My heart will go the grueling, two-year-long spectacle of the U.S. presidential campaign drew to an official close on Tuesday, November 3rd. I don't want to say I hated every minute of it, but I literally hated every minute of it. During the weeks leading up to election night, tens of millions of Americans cast ballots, indicating which kleptocratic septuagenarian they would rather be ruled by for the next four years. Would you rather get punched in the face or get slapped in the face hard? Well, slapped, in it? You'd rather get slapped. slapped. Yeah. Thanks for the help. For months, popular fears had been mounting that a disputed election result would spark widespread political unrest, perhaps even culminating in a second American civil war. Given this generalized state of heightened anxiety, the days following the election were somewhat anticlimactic. Their government is in the midst of a coup. They're trying to turn us into some sort of socialist government, a new form of government. All that matters is it doesn't happen. CNN projects Joseph R. Biden Jr. is elected the 46th On election night, a small crew of proud boys, including their national chairman, Enrique Tarrio, were out drinking at a DC bar with Bevlin Beatty, a conservative Christian activist best known for repeatedly painting over the Black Lives Matter street mural in New York. They say at around 2.30 in the morning, pumped up from Trump's win in Florida, and chock full of liquid courage, the group picked a fight with some local youth, and promptly got themselves stabbed. They stabbed me! They stabbed me! Were you stabbed or punched? I don't know. 
with the amount of blood that came oh out. Oh my god, you've got tons of blood coming out of your neck! Yes, I do. As many commentators and political analysts had predicted, no winner was declared on election night. This election is not over. Far from it. Fuck! It would be four days before enough votes had been tallied to project a winner. While this delay did not result in mass political upheaval, as some had predicted, protests did take place, leading to several skirmishes and dozens of arrests in several of the country's so-called anarchist jurisdictions. And we ain't even talking about the election right now, because no matter who wins, we still gonna have black men killed every day. The behavior of police in the so-called anarchist jurisdiction of New York was particularly problematic. In the so-called anarchist jurisdiction of Portland, locals continued their nightly tradition of rioting, prompting Governor Kate Brown to call in the comrades of the National Guard. What does that mean? On Thursday night, two armed Trump supporters were arrested near the Philadelphia Convention Center, where ballots were still being counted. The men had driven up from Virginia Beach in a silver Hummer with QAnon decals as part of an alleged plot to storm the vote counting facility commando style and, quote, straighten things out. As all of this was taking place, Donald Trump retreated to his national golf club, where he proceeded to send out a series of unhinged tweets. Sounds like he just lost a challenge in Scrabble after putting down the word quarf. Trump was playing golf when he learned that Biden had been declared the winner by a number of corporate media outlets, including Fox News. I don't even watch Fox anymore. What's your main source of information? My main source of information is I listen to Alex Jones. It's a Chicom New World Order, Great Reset, Global Depression, Attack Our Families, Castrate Our Sons program. <laughs> As news of Trump's loss spread, people took to the streets to celebrate. Goodness won! That's who won! Goodness! Not Biden! Goodness! The spontaneous outpouring of emotion is a defining human trait, and it is predictable that many humans would express relief and jubilation upon hearing news of Trump's apparent defeat. It's over! Best day of my life! But as an AI-powered automaton who was not programmed to feel relief, it falls on me to remind viewers that a Donald Trump loss also means a Joe Biden victory. We did it! We did it, Joe! You're gonna be the next president of the United States. Biden is often presented as a quasi-senile old man, who is prone to verbal guffs. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. Someone who is out of touch, a bit creepy, but ultimately harmless. I've loved kids jumping on my lap. Oh, dude! This caricature papers over the functional role that he plays within the Democratic Party establishment his status as the favored candidate of Wall Street and finance capital, and his decades-long career as a foreign and domestic policy hawk. Biden's 1994 crime bill helped fuel mass incarceration with financial incentives to keep people behind bars. We have predators on our streets. We have no choice but to take them out of society. 
I like the idea they keep in jail longer. I'm the guy that wrote the bill requiring federal judges to keep people in jail. President Bush is right to be concerned about Saddam Hussein's relentless pursuit of weapons of mass destruction. His running mate, Kamala Harris, is now being positioned as the future of the Democratic Party, after making history by becoming the first female, black, and South Asian police officer to be elected Vice President of the United States. Top cop, top cop, top cop. Oh, you know, Kamala was popo. In the nights after the election, many of those in the streets made it clear that they didn't support either political party. But as the days passed, and a Biden-Harris victory began to come into clearer focus, the Democrats' messaging of count every vote became more prominent at marches and rallies. This created an odd and increasingly alienating environment for anarchists, abolitionists and other professed enemies of America's bipartisan political establishment. Anarchists who had been physically and mentally preparing themselves to confront and fight back a fascist coup d'etat, soon discovered that the internal democratic mechanisms of the most powerful state in the world were more than up to the task. They're not going to have any success in stopping the vote counting. There is no basis in law. I think if our message to global investors was America is not a legitimate democracy anymore, I think we'd be doing a lot worse and down a thousand points a day. Judges around the country tossing out some 30 cases. The growing number of Republicans now acknowledge it's time to move on. This realization no doubt affected attendance at the so-called Million MAGA March, which took place in Washington, D.C. on Saturday, November 14th. This mobilization was organized and promoted by a broad coalition of Trump loyalists and fixtures of the far right, including Trump's former campaign advisor, Roger Stone, members of the Proud Boys, three percenters, and Oath Keepers, Alex Jones. Death! Death! Death to the New World Order! And white nationalists associated with the so-called Groyper Army, such as Nick Fuentes and former American Identity Movement leader, Patrick Casey. We're all gonna be out there in D.C. Who's gonna be out there in D.C.? A related event, called the March for Trump, was promoted by Fox News, White House Press Secretary, Kayleigh McEnany, and Trump himself. The idea was to stage a massive rally, to boost morale in the Trump camp, and to show that there was an army of patriots willing to fight to overturn fraudulent election results. Yet even with all its free advertising, the largest display of far-right unity since Charlottesville, and the fate of the presidency hanging in the balance, the rally was only able to pull out somewhere between 10,000 and 20,000 people. And that's not really our fault, because the last time that there was some kind of dissident right rally or demonstration, we all know how that went, and the last one that I participated in. Despite the smaller than expected turnout, those who did show up were agitated and spoiling for a fight. The morning began with a small flock of MAGA supporters ripping down the memorial wall at Black Lives Matter Plaza. Throughout the day, there were sporadic fist fights and physical attacks on journalists. I just know that I got hit in the head. 
and I started yelling like, I'm press, I'm press. And then they were just kind of like, Just fake news, people! And we're helping you steal his freedom! And then we'll Later that night, a crowd of approximately 200 proud boys returned to Black Lives Matter Plaza and attacked a vastly outnumbered group of anti-fascists and BLM supporters. In the process, three people were stabbed, and one person was sent to the hospital in critical condition. Hey, we got one on the ground! We got one on the ground! The Proud Boys-led crowd also targeted women, queer and trans people, in a violent, testosterone-fueled display of wounded masculinity. Y'all need to be outraged and come back because on December 12th, they're going to be out here and they're going to be fucking us up just like they did last time. We need help and we don't have it. There are no doubt a number of lessons to be drawn from the events in D.C. and hopefully it provides an opportunity for critical reflection on strategy and tactics. This is important as the country is already facing a series of painful, deepening and interconnected crises and things don't look like they're going to be improving anytime soon. Oh, this fucking shit. <laughs> One clear takeaway is that the energy, excitement and momentum seen during the black-led but multiracial George Floyd uprisings has not transferred into the movement to protect American democracy from a presumed fascist coup d'etat. To learn more about why things played out this way, I recently caught up with an writer, insurrectionist strategist, and author of The Master's Tools, Tom Nomad. Hey Tom, how's it going? It's incredibly exhausting and stressful. Indeed. A USA Today poll, released shortly before the US elections, indicated that more than 75% of Americans were concerned about post-election unrest. This largely failed to materialize. Why do you think this is? And what do you make of this discrepancy between people's fears and the reality of what has taken place? I think that there's a number of reasons why that happened the way that it did. Part of that has to do with the fact that Trump and the Republicans have essentially turned anarchists and anti-fascists into super soldiers in the minds of conservatives, you know, taking over parts of major cities and stuff like that. And that has created this kind of mentality within the right wing, which is simultaneously uh, hostile, right? So really, really focused on trying to confront anarchists and anti-fascists. We saw that in, in Washington, D.C. recently. But also at the same time, terrified. And a lot of that hostility comes from fear. Most conservatives in the United States are relatively normal, rural and suburban people. Most are white, most work low to mid-income jobs, a lot are older. And those people aren't going to die or go to prison for Donald Trump. At the same time, the fear on the left was really coming from the fact that that fear that we see on the right wing is really unpredictable. That at different points, that fear has manifested in conservatives failing to really turn people up at protests, just as much as it's turned into Charlottesville, just as much as it's turned into mass shootings. Because of the prevalence of gun culture down here, which involves a lot of hyper-toxic masculinity and sort of delusions of grandeur, I guess we, we could say, that sometimes manifests itself in people dressing up in uniforms and joining militias and running around in the woods and, and pretending to be soldiers and not really doing anything with that. And sometimes it turns into Kyle Rittenhouse. And so it becomes really difficult to locate where political violence is going to come from in the US right now. And because of that, what it's generated is this sense of constant vigilance 
the other basic reality comes down to class and geography in the United States and the way that that interacts with race. The right wing traditionally has been terrified of cities in the US. And the places where Trump was telling people to go were places like Chicago, Detroit, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, like these cities which to people on the right wing are thought of as smoking ruins of crime. And so when you combine all of that together, it's not particularly surprising that a ton of them did not show up. But at the same time, it's also the case that we all had to be very ready for them to show up because there was no way to know which way that was going to play out. What role has social media played in this process? Twitter definitely went through a, a transformation in the last few months. Part of that has to do with the seriousness of COVID conspiracy theories. So with Twitter, it, it was very specifically a response to people putting out misinformation about COVID-19 that got them to start focusing really heavily on labeling things as misinformation. I think for them, they, they sat there and they saw how damaging the effects of misinformation were. And they started seeing that a lot of people were leaving their platforms because of it. And so for the purposes of profit, they started moderating that content. Facebook, on the other hand, is a, a dumpster fire, right? Like no one should ever use Facebook for anything ever. Um, they're terrible. What effect do you see a Biden-Harris presidency having on social movements in the US? What new dangers do you see ahead? for anarchists and anti-fascists during this coming period. To understand how this is going to play out, we have to understand what the Democratic Party is, essentially, and the role of counterinsurgency in the sort of foundations of the Democratic Party. Some people market the civil rights movement, some market at the labor corporate compromise after World War II, but starting at that period of time, the Democrats really started to identify social movements which might be able to build their own support, build their own base and then identifying moderate elements within those social movements and sort of co-opting them or, or kind of recuperating them back into the political system. We watch this happen in the civil rights movement. We definitely watch this happen during Vietnam. Uh, we watch this happen with environmentalists. We watch this happen with the anti-war movement, so on, so on, so on, so on, so on. And the Democratic Party at this point is more or less made up of the moderate wings of all of these social movements which have occurred since World War II. We also see elements of this playing themselves out around the question of defunding the police. A lot of liberals, I think, recognize something very basic about the George Floyd uprising, which is that it is a result of a failure of reformism. That after Ferguson in 2014 and 2015, liberals were able to push the narrative into a narrative of reformism. Let's get police departments to have consent decrees. Let's have the Justice Department investigate. Blah, 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 blah. And that failed horrendously for obvious reasons. And the George Floyd uprising was a response to that failure. And so instead of just stepping back, they said, oh, all this violence is the result of people from the outside. It's not people rejecting our policies. It's not people rejecting our attempts at reform. It's outside agitators. It's white nationalists. It's boogaloo boys and so on, so on, so on. And that played itself out in almost exactly the same way all around the US. And again, that gives them justification to crack down. So I think that it is very likely that we are going to see a situation in which the FBI comes after us, in which the FBI is used as a mechanism to destroy the militant fringe of the uprising that's happening right now, partially because it threatens the continuity of the American state, which it legitimately does, which is not something I think I could have ever said at any point in time before this, at least since I've been alive, but also because it is absolutely fundamentally necessary to create the carrot and stick scenario 
that they need to be able to co-opt the moderate elements of all of these sort of political initiatives that are happening in the streets right now. Is there anything else you'd like to add? As we're kind of leaving a Trump administration going into a Biden administration, really the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how do we move away from that constant process of response? We're removing from outrage to outrage to outrage. And how do we start to move into a trajectory where we are able to dictate the pace of action and we are able to do that on a granular, local, tactical level? In other words, we have to move from a position of activism to one essentially of insurgency, right? We have to really focus on this idea that we are not fighting an abstract enemy. We are engaged in an open material struggle with the state. And we have to think about it on that level. And what that means is we have to abandon this kind of reactionary posture of activism and start to really start to think of ourselves as what we are, which is antagonists and as insurgents in a circumstance which is not particularly conducive to that. And our task is not to necessarily get everyone to agree with our ideas, but it's to create the political circumstances for us to achieve our objectives. Thanks, Tom. We've now reached the end of this episode of System Fail. An extended version of my interview with Tom Nomad will soon be available on Submedia's brand new Circle 8 podcast. You can find it via your favorite podcast service, or by checking it out on our website, sub.media slash circle a. My lazy, human producers are taking off the entire month of December, meaning that I will be back sometime in January. To support Submedia. Consider making a one-time donation or signing up to be a monthly sustainer at sub.media slash donate. You can also support us by buying some of our merchandise at sub.media slash gear. Be sure and follow us on your corporate data mining platform of choice. Just search for Submedia. Or better yet, sign up to our mailing list and get every new episode delivered directly to your inbox. Godspeed, humans. Wear a fucking mask when you diddy pop Fuck a Trump supporter, fuck a fed, fuck a city cop Grew up in the city where the children's popping 50 shots Say you with the streets, but we know that you really not Riding in a bucket with my OG the pistola Justice for the family of Sean Matarosa 2020 showed us that we all gotta be soldiers Media activism, lacking vision, masking up performance Wear a fucking mask when you see me stop it still Fuck Trump, fuck pigs and abolish cops